Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. And uh, church, you're welcome to be seated. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I'd like to start reading this morning in verse 12 and read down through verse 18. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. God, thank you for your word. Please help us to understand it this morning. Help us to enjoy what you have said to us through it. Please convict us of our sins and lead us in righteousness. Lead us to worship you and glorify you. And as this passage speaks... I pray that you will compel us to speak the word of God, to speak it in truth, to speak it with boldness and in courage, and to trust and rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Thank you for this work, Lord. Help us to worship you as we listen and as we read and study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'd like to continue our discussion through Philippians chapter 1. We're I'm um, going to kind of pick up where I left off uh, the last time I was, I was up here. Uh, we finished up in verse 14 last time, but I'd like to come back to verse 14 and walk through verse 18 specifically. Uh, last week we spent a little bit of time, or the week before last, we spent a little time kind of talking about the progress of the gospel, God progressing the gospel even through our difficult trials and tribulations. Specifically, Paul Here as an example, his trials, although it would have seemed that it would have slowed the progress of the gospel because he was arrested and sent to prison and locked away. And in many ways, uh, it was looking more and more hopeless that he would have a chance of returning to that work and those missionary journeys. Uh, He many might believe or might be discouraged or might be distressed because the progress of the gospel, it would seem, has been slowed. But his response to that was absolutely not. Only that as in his distress and in his imprisonment, he has done nothing but continue to preach the gospel and it has continued to spread nonetheless. So we know that God is continuing the work of the gospel and he will not just work in spite of our circumstances, 
but he uses our circumstances to spread the gospel. And we can trust that and rely on that. Another word of recap, I'd just like to um, remind you and just kind of think again through the word joy and what that means, because this is a pretty main theme in the book of Philippians. So it's going to be good for us to just come back to that once in a while. Uh, Joy is a little different than happiness, although it includes happiness. The basic definition of joy is gladness. But it's a kind of gladness that when that word is used in Scripture, it's always in combination with the work of God. It's gladness that happens when we realize what God has done or is doing or will do. So when we have a realization of heart and mind of the goodness of God's work, there is a feeling that we, that we get, a happiness or a gladness, so to speak, that comes about because of what we know is absolutely certain in God, which means that in times when happiness goes away, when the good feelings are gone, or when difficulties happen, when we're arrested, when we're persecuted, when we're thrown in jail like Paul, or when we face sickness or death, in life because of the difficulty of the world we live in. When all the good feelings are gone, the goodness of God remains, and there's still a joy that we can have and hold, a gladness that persists even when the feelings of happiness aren't there. There is something that remains that Paul calls joy. And he this is this is a confidence in God's work. It's always connected with faith, and it's unlike worldly gladness or happiness that comes and goes with circumstances. The world seeks happiness by surrounding people, surrounding themselves with all the things that make us happy, make us comfortable, make us confident, and make us feel safe. And then we can start to feel feelings of happiness. And if they only last for temporary moments, then we try to fill our lives with those satisfactory things over and over and over again because we're addicted to those good feelings. But the problem is they never fully satisfy and they never fully last. And so God has provided something that is much more sure and certain and eternal. It is joy, and it's rooted in the character of God. It's rooted in the goodness of God. It's rooted in the work of God. And when we have faith in God, there is a gladness that cannot be taken away when the things of the world no longer satisfy. So that's what joy is. And I come back to that because this passage right here that I'm going to talk about this morning is specifically to those who are trusting the Lord and speaking the word of God with confidence and without fear. He's specifically addressing those people, but he is lands on this joy and he says rejoice. He is rejoicing because in every way Christ is proclaimed. And so this morning, the, the basic point of this passage that I'd love to kind of encourage you with and that's an encouragement to me with, uh, if I put myself in this category of the believers who are speaking the word of God, and, uh, and I wrestle with the difficulties of that in my individual conversations with people about their faith or within the steady proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and being faithful to that call, 
the difficulty that it, that it entails, and sometimes even the weaknesses of my own heart and life, and I consider the, the ramifications of a weak person attempting to proclaim the sure word of God, I rejoice, as Paul does, knowing that in every way Christ is proclaimed. So my encouragement to you this morning, to those who are trusting the Lord and speaking the word of God with courage, rejoice because in every way Christ is proclaimed. Let's kind of walk through this a little bit. In verse 14, he says, and this is following, remember, this is following his discussion about the fact that he's in a difficult circumstance, he's... He's been arrested and he's encouraging the church uh, to, to rejoice because this has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Even in his imprisonment, he has preached, preached, preached to everyone he's come in contact with. And uh, his, the reason of his imprisonment, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, has become known to the entire Praetorian Guard uh, to, to, and to all the people that have been invited into that house to hear what he has to say. And in verse 14, he says, And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So he's saying that because of his imprisonment, most of the Christians, the brethren, the believers have been instilled with more courage and have chosen to continue speaking the word of God without fear of the persecution that Paul is enduring. So he's kind of answering this this unasked question. He's presuming from prison that perhaps the Philippian church is discouraged because of their persecutions and because of his persecution. Perhaps some of them, because of their fears, have been moved back to a place of silence for which they're not, they're no longer speaking the word of God because they're afraid that what happened to Paul will happen to them or what's happened to some of the other church members will happen to them. But Paul's response to that was the results of persecution has been the greater progress of the gospel. And in fact, most of the believers are responding with more courage, not less courage. The only way that can happen is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within us. Because otherwise, we would cower in fear. We would run and find an upper room somewhere to hide in, a safe bubble full of people that are perfectly like-minded and are non-threatening. And we would not say anything outside our hiding place. But because of the Spirit of God within us, in spite of the persecutions, the Lord compels us to go. In fact, it would seem thematically that the Lord uses persecution to spread the church out throughout the world. There's a word in the New Testament. The word is diaspora. It means, um, well, I'm not going to tell you the exact meaning because I'm going to mess it up, but it basically means the spreading of the people. Um, It was a spreading of the people as a result of persecution that came because of the believers who were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persecution came and people had to leave with their families to find safety. But everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. Because of the diaspora, the the dispersion of the people, the gospel went everywhere. So it is thematic that the Lord uses persecution to spread the gospel. But here's something really interesting. There are some categories and subcategories in these next few verses. Notice the words most and the words some. Okay, If you're a scientific kind of person, uh, you could categorize this as 
genus and species, okay? It's not just limited to plants and animals. It's all types of things. It's basically large categories and subcategories. This is important. Now, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm getting too deep in the weeds here. I, I'm going to go in somewhere with this, but here's the point. Uh, he says this, most of the brethren. So let's consider right now he's talking about the brethren, which are believers, the saints, the holy ones, those who have been saved in Christ Jesus. So what Paul's addressing right here is not a question of whether or not these people are believers. I believe he's speaking to Christians in, in general. This is a big uh, category of believers. And uh, he's not calling us to question their salvation or asking the believers at this point to question their own salvation. He's addressing them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Most of the brethren, most of these believers are continuing to speak the word of God with courage and without fear, but some of them have been affected by the difficult trials. And for one reason or another, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time, maybe it's just a season, or maybe they're struggling with sin in their life, or maybe they are just afraid. They have been brought to a place where they are silent and they're not speaking the word of God any longer, and they're being quiet. But he's not calling into question their salvation. This is Honestly, this is encouraging to me because it reveals to you and I that it is possible for us as believers to be somewhat diverse spiritually wherein there are some of us that are strong and courageous and without fear, continuing to speak the word of God, and others of us are struggling with fear and struggling with anxiety and worry or struggling with other things in their life. It is not a position from which we question one another's salvation except to simply say, brothers and sisters, there are things we can rejoice in that are absolutely sure and we can be encouraged by that can motivate us to greater courage and strength to continue being the people of God that, calls, has, that God has called us to be and to encourage one another to grow in that. So that causes should compel us to show mercy to one another, especially if we see a brother or sister who is struggling to fully wrap their heart around these rich, things that Paul is freely rejoicing in that gives him the ability to have abundant joy in prison. I know if you were to read church history and you read stories like uh, the story of Corrie ten Boom and, uh, and her sister uh, and, uh, and the, what they went through in persecution, rejoicing wasn't necessarily a given. Some Christians don't rejoice. It doesn't make them less Christian. It just means they're struggling with the difficulty of life. And there are times in which we, we struggle and we're weak. There are some among us. So you have this, this kind of a broad category of brothers and sisters. And most of those brothers and sisters with courage are continuing to speak the word of God without fear. And before I move on from that, I'd just love to encourage you. If you are struggling right now because of the dynamics of what's happening politically in America and around the world and the things that are going on with free speech and with the truth and, and uh, the, the calling into question to, of any absolute truth or truth that can be known, this, this sense of um, Gnosticism where nothing can be known or skepticism of all things that are true um, and that cause us to fear of being canceled or being, um, or being uh, 
slandered and called things that we know that we're not. We don't want to be labeled things that we're not, but we might be labeled things that we're not just because the world hates the light, the darkness hates the light. If you're struggling at all with that, my hope this morning is not to discourage you in that, but to recognize brothers and sisters, we recognize your faith. You do have faith in the Lord. Just want to encourage you that God is with us and it is okay to rejoice because in all of that, God is at work. And yes, we might have fear at times, but the Lord is progressing his gospel. The Lord preserves his church. The Lord preserves us. And if it be his will that we suffer, he will sustain us through it by our faith and by his spirit. But notice what he's speaking to here. He's speaking generally to those, the, the most. He's speaking to the most. This next part's for the most who have who are trusting the Lord and have courage to speak the word of God without fear. He's speaking to the most. He says uh, in verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now here's some more subcategories of the most, which is really interesting. This gets tricky. He says, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some, another small subcategory of the most, some also from goodwill. So some of those people who are speaking the word of God are doing it from envy and strife. Now that should raise a red flag in your mind. How is that possible? A believer, a, one of the brethren, a holy one, a saint, who loves the Lord Jesus, is speaking the word of God, but is doing it from envy and strife? How does that even go together? And then he says some of these others, some of the, some of the most who have courage to speak the word of God, are doing it from love. They're doing it out of the latter, do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. That gets even worse. It's not just unintentional. Here's a believer that's trying to cause distress to another believer by the way they're teaching the word of God. That's interesting, right? And uh, then he says this, Why, what then? Paul's response is, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. So I just wanted to point out uh, these, first of all, these are subcategories of a larger category because these are, these are believers. It'd be really easy to say, well, these people who are preaching from envy and strife, most likely, they're not believers. They're preaching a false doctrine. They're preaching something false. It's causing division in the church. But that's not what Paul said. Because if Paul, if Paul was speaking about the Judaizers, for instance, uh, he's already rebuked them for preaching a false gospel, for preaching something that was not the word of God. Here he says they are speaking the word of God. So, so when we begin to kind of take a look at these two categories of the most, most of us that are with courage, continuing to speak the word of God, he says that some of the brethren will continue to speak with wrong motives, envy, strife, selfish ambition, impure heart, weakness in character. They have a, they have a contentious spirit and he even labels them or identifies them as as having a pretense, which, which means that it's a false cover. They're using the speaking of the word of God as a cover for some other selfish agenda that they might have. 
But before we dive into all that, one thing I'd like to just note is that in verse 14, he specifically says, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So he's already said they're speaking the word of God. And we already know where he's going with this. He's rejoicing because Christ is proclaimed. Christ is only proclaimed if the word of God is, is, is spoken. So obviously these people are speaking the true word of God because Paul has concluded that whoever these people are, the brethren, whatever they're struggling with, whatever these false motives are, Christ is being proclaimed. So he's not really dealing with a false teaching right here. Because if it was a false teaching, we know if you continue to read Paul's letters, he doesn't skirt around false teaching. He calls that out. He asks the church to call those people out and to address it publicly, to address it clearly, and to get it out of the church. He doesn't mess around with false teaching because he knows it's a, it's a wolf amongst the sheep. It's something, it's, it's, uh, it's yeast in the bread, a little bit affects the whole lump of dough. It's sin. Deal with it like sin. That's how he addresses false teaching. But here he doesn't deal with it the same way. So this is the word of God. So there was an accuracy to what they were speaking that resulted in Christ being proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed in truth when the word of God is spoken with clarity and accuracy. So this is really important for us when we consider being believers and considering whatever, it really doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. If it, is, if it is threatening our lives or causing us distress, there is a joy that we can have. There is a courage that can grow in our hearts by the power of the Spirit that can continue to compel us to speak the Word of God. Now, I want to be careful. I'm trying my best not to use the word preach because usually when I say preach, everybody's mind goes to what happens right here at this pulpit. But I believe God has commanded all believers to speak the word of God without fear and with courage. He's called us all to preach. It really, I can say both words. That's fine. I can switch to preach right now. You really need to be okay with God saying you're supposed to be preaching the word of God, believers. So it's not just something that happens up here. And I know none of us want to sound preachy. None of us want to be accused of preaching. Stop preaching to me. Right? You're having a conversation with a friend or a family member or somebody, a coworker. But God compels us to speak the word of God with fear, without fear. And when we do so, people are going to be mad. They are going to feel like we're coming across as preachy, and they're going to tell us about it. But that is a time for us to rejoice and say, whoa, that means maybe Christ is proclaimed in that person's heart and life. Maybe they don't like it. Maybe they haven't received it, but regardless, Christ has been proclaimed. And we can know that. Paul knew that. In fact, he kind of was boasting in it. He said, everybody who's come in contact with me knows why I'm in prison. Everybody who's come in contact with me has heard the gospel because I've made sure to tell everybody the gospel. So he was confident in that. I believe that it's important for us, uh, This before I move on, just to... One quick note, it is important that we guard ourselves from false teaching because this is not condoning false teaching in the church or in the lives of the believers. Uh, so it is important for us as we speak the word of God, as we try to communicate Christ, as we try to communicate God and reveal God to people, it's important that we get it right. It's important that we know God's word so that we can speak the truth. 
because if we don't speak the truth, we are guilty of false teaching, and that has no place in the church. God does deal with that severely. So it is important for us, if we have a desire as a church to see other people come to know Jesus, and to see people saved, and to see God transform hearts, it's important for us to recognize our call and our responsibility to continue speaking the Word of God, knowing the Word of God well enough to be able to articulate it when we're asked. When we're at work and somebody asks us about our faith or about the church that we go to or why we make the decisions that we make for our families. Or when we simply don't wait to be asked and we interject ourselves into conversations and we bring the gospel in whether they want to hear it or not. And we tell people the truth. We have to be ready with it. It's not something that pastors are the only ones that are supposed to be skilled at. This is not one of those professions where we say, we're the professionals, don't try this at home. Okay? <laughs> this should be... Uh, this should be duplicated by the body, by the believers. Pastors are called by God to shepherd the believers, but we are not little, we're not, we're not your priest. Christ is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He intercedes on your behalf and he has given you, he has all authority in heaven and on earth and has commissioned you with his authority and with his power to go out and represent the kingdom of God and be his ambassador. And hopefully, the shepherds of the church at least reflect that. It is our job to stand before the church and proclaim and proclaim and proclaim, and we rejoice to do so. But we should simply be a reflection of what God has commanded all of us to be. So, it is important. I would compel you, before we dive into the two kinds of people, uh, the Word of God is vitally important in your life. Study it, know it, be prepared to share it. So, there are two kinds of the most. These, these who are trusting the Lord, speaking the Word of God without, with courage. And it is a little bit elusive trying to figure out how it's possible that a believer could speak the word of God with envy and strife in their heart in that way. But in this case, it would seem as though there were certain believers who didn't really like Paul. And we know, we know we're human beings. We're in the church. A lot of us have been in churches long enough to know that there are some believers that we don't like. There are some believers that aggravate us. There are some believers that irritate us. There are some believers that are attempting to serve the Lord and we don't really like the way they're doing it. And in some cases, there's rivalry within churches and certainly rivalry between churches that are down the street. You know, and some, in some cases, they are preaching false doctrines. And we're not necessarily all on the same team. But I think there are more people preaching a true gospel than, than we know. And we may not like the way they're all doing it, but there are people that are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, certainly, Paul says, certainly, some of these people even have a desire to cause me harm by the way they're preaching the gospel. There was a, apparently some form of a rivalry where, where people from within the church wanted followers that Paul had. He had a following. He was kind of what you might call today your celebrity pastor. 
The guy that had all the people that reading their books and listening to their podcasts and following them online and talking about them in their small groups and doing their little Bible studies. And the other Christians thinking, I would like to be that and have a following of people that are impressed with me and like what I say and like what I write and like what, what I do. And there becomes a rivalry, a desire to even slander another brother because we don't like the position that they're in. We find the little pieces and parts from where they go wrong and we pick them apart and we destroy their character and slander them from a distance because it's easier than, than being feeling like you're less than. But it reveals there's a heart issue in the life of the brethren. When we're coming to the word of God, the mission of God, the goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the glorification of God and the salvation of mankind, we put all of that aside and put our selfish ambition on a pedestal in the name of Jesus Christ. Put ourselves up as an idol or seek to be revered as some version of an idol. Now, some of us, I think it's really easy to see how that can be done from platforms like this, uh, like preachers in the pulpit. But I believe another great um, example of where that takes place is in social media, because after all, that is a platform that's specifically designed for the purpose of speaking. Words, positions, opinions, beliefs, thoughts, uh, nothingness. People like to just say stuff. But... But in that, what is the desire of following people to like you? More thumbs up than thumbs downs, right? More great, that was a great comment. I love that. You know, amen to that. More of that. Send us something else. And less of the, you're a horrible person. I hate what you just said. You know, people have been pretty mean on social media. It's a pretty, pretty bad place to be. Now, the Christians can say, you know what, we, there's no place for us there, but you know what, I believe there's a lot of Christians that are making an attempt at trying to share the word of God. Some of those, to be sure, are trying to gain a following, but some of those people are genuinely trying to convince people of the truth, and it is a, it is a battlefield. If you've ever tried to make comments about truth on a public platform, it's rough. It's rough. I don't do it. I don't even like being on there. Okay, it's a, I'm scared of it. All right. So I don't like criticism. Okay. You can criticize me. It's okay. But um, I'm just going to go home and I'll deal with it. In my, you know, I'll talk to the Lord about it. Okay. But, um, but the, the thing is, there are people that are preaching the word of God. And you know, we could say all Christians have, there's no place for Christians there. We just need to all get up. But you know what? Hearing that, I'm hearing Paul's attitude here, I consider that maybe Paul would say, I rejoice because whether in pretense or in truth, I've seen gospel on those places and on those platforms, and Christ has been proclaimed nonetheless. Yeah, some of those people have bad motives, and some of those people are saying it in a way that I wouldn't say it, but some of those things are true, and Christ has been proclaimed, and there's a rejoicing in that work. So yeah, some of us will speak with wrong motives, envy, strife, selfish ambition, and impure heart, pretense. Some of us will speak it with integrity, pure motive, love, 
joining in with Paul's mission. Look at what he says in verse uh, 16. He says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, meaning that he knows that Paul, we know that Paul was appointed to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God, to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ, to contend for the faith, as we studied in Jude. He was appointed by God to, to be an, uh, an apologist, an apo- to make an apologetic for the truth, to give a defense for what is true, and to shed light on what is false. And he committed his life to that, to the death. And he's saying that some of us, out of love for God and love for others, see what he's done, and we are joining him in his work. We are joining in that mission to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you like that better. But he says some of us will do this from love, and we're joining in with Paul's mission. The motive is goodwill. The motive is love. It's truth. That word truth in verse 18, he says, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, that word truth is is aletheia. It means means genuineness or integrity. So with integrity of heart, a true desire. So what kind of love is it that would compel us to speak the word of God? Well, it goes back to the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The goal of our heart in speaking God's word should be to reveal God. It should be to reveal Christ. So speaking the word from love is to love God. If we love God, then we obviously want to reveal God. If we we are speaking the word of God, it's, it's also the love of our neighbor. It's a desire to see them saved by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word of God is revelation. It's something being revealed that couldn't be seen before. There is a general revelation, a general knowledge of God. Then there is the word of God. It is is God revealing himself. Some of us say, I just wish God would show himself to me. Well, here it is. This is God revealing himself. It is revelation. He's revealed himself to you and I. And when we speak it, We are showing the greatest love to our neighbor by exposing them to the truth. To that which has the power to save. So I think Paul, he identifies two kinds of people here, but here's the thing. He doesn't really actually address it. He doesn't say... He doesn't address the people who are speaking the word from envy and strife and selfish ambition and say, listen, this is wrong. You need to repent and stop doing that. Church, don't let people be like that. He doesn't really preach to them right here. He says, yeah, I know that some people are preaching with false motives, but I know some people are preaching out of love. He says, "But but the point here is that the power of salvation is in the gospel, not in the character of the people who are speaking it. Salvation does not depend on my righteousness and your righteousness. Not for myself or anybody else. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? When when you consider speaking the word of God, doesn't that free you up to feel less, um, less 
burdened by the idea that I'm not worthy enough to share the gospel with this person because I know my life and how hypocritical I am and how, how much how weak I am and how many doubts I have and how many struggles I have with sin. Who am I to speak the word of God to somebody and tell them how they should live their life and tell them how they should repent and follow Jesus? Where Paul says, listen, the power of God is not in, in your motivations and in your, your ability. The power of God is in the gospel. A scripture that I think Paul gives us that makes this really clear, uh, I love so much. You guys know this fairly well. It's in Romans chapter 1. This is what he says about the gospel. So for in Romans 1.15, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Well, now he's in Rome preaching the gospel to them, right? So he's already told them, I'm eager to come to you preaching the gospel. He got arrested and taken to Rome. So he got his, he got his, his, his hope, all right? He was hoping to get there one way or another. He really, I think, he came to conclude that it was the Lord's will to bring him there that way. And it was the Lord's authority by which he was there. Anyways, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So in his persecution, in his struggles, remember that those believers who had far more courage to preach the gospel? They were coming to realize what Paul knew. That he so loved the gospel, he was not ashamed of it in the slightest. To the extent that he would suffer all worldly shames and horrors for the sake of exalting the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but where's the power of, the, where's the power of salvation here? He says, the power of salvation is in the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. What is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of God. The word of God is the gospel. That is where the power of salvation is. God uses it as an instrument to expose people to him, to reveal him. Let's keep reading. He even says it. He says it. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at verse 17. Very important. Very important. This is a really good verse. For in it, in what? In the gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So because of the word of God, the good news of God, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's revelation. It's God opening the hearts and the eyes of sinful human beings to see that he is God and we are sinful and we are in desperate need of being made right with God. And being exposed to these truths, being exposed to these truths are what lead us to the possibility of being saved. And it is for those who believe. If we believe in the God that has been revealed to us, then we will be saved. What a blessing to see. The word of God revealed. So when you, when you consider what Paul is saying in Philippians, he says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? I love that question. It's a really great question. What, 
What's my point? Is basically what he's saying. What's my point? Am I trying to preach to you about your motives right now? No, but he does. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't condone having bad motives. He deals with that with the church. And I believe it's good for us to consider that it's possible to recognize that as believers, we can still fall prey to envy, strife, selfish ambition, and pretense. It's good for us to recognize that, confess that, and seek the Lord in those things. We are, as we fellowship together and serve God together, we're wise to remember that our flesh is weak. But we rejoice in knowing that God preserves and progresses his gospel through our trials and our weaknesses. So he, even in our weaknesses, we know that God preserves the gospel. We cannot let our tendency towards sin or our trials and persecution or our weaknesses of heart keep us from speaking the word of God. I believe it would be a lie. It would be a, the enemy using our weaknesses as a tool to make us silent. The enemy using our weaknesses as a tool. Rather, I think God would have us confess our weaknesses and our sins and repent and continue preaching the word of God all the more. So it is possible. I think there is a warning there, but that's not really his point. He says, what then? This is my point. Only that every, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. He is rejoicing because he sees the weakness of man, but the gospel is going forward. The, the message here is about the power of the gospel. It's not really about the weakness of men. He's just calling out what we all see. It's the elephant in the room. We all see each other's weaknesses. We know our weaknesses. He's, yeah, I know they're there, but let's remember why we're believers. Let's remember why we're saved. Let's remember why we're a church. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the power of God, not because of the power of your character or mine. I don't, I don't know if that's encouraging to you or not, but this is really encouraging to me. And I just think as we kind of read through these verses, uh, there's three applications I'd love you to pray for as we pray about this. Um, you know, he's already, we've already talked about God using circumstances to progress the gospel. He can use our bad circumstances of life to put us in places where we will preach the gospel to people we would have otherwise never met. So he tells, he says in verse 14, the most of the brethren who are trusting the Lord, my encouragement to you would be to continue trusting the Lord through your trials or whatever difficulties you face as a believer in the church or outside the church. Whatever difficulties or trials, continue trusting the Lord that he is at work. Things are not really out of control. Even if you are in utter despair because of the pain you feel. Trust the Lord. And then I would encourage you to speak the word of God with courage and without fear. I think there is an encouragement here to believers. Most believers upon the difficulties of life, grow to speak the word of God with courage. Join them in that. Join Paul in his mission to advance the gospel of Jesus without fear. And then I would encourage you to rejoice. Rejoice as Paul did. 
because in every way Christ is proclaimed. So even if you have struggled in your faith and you've struggled to share the gospel and you've struggled with, uh, with your own life, or you struggle with the church. Maybe you've been in church long enough to really be skeptical about people getting together and pretending to be nice. Maybe you've, you're struggling with how all this works because you've seen the flesh of man, of man. I would encourage you to rejoice because Christ is being proclaimed. God will not let that stop. For millennia, the gospel has been preached, and it's not going to stop being preached. So don't be discouraged no matter what happens to the church or in the church or in your life. Rejoice. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for leading us this morning. I pray that your spirit would help us to <coughs> help us to trust you. Help us to trust you no matter what things we face or what difficulties or hardships we face as believers Help us even to grieve with joy. Help us to, uh, to struggle with uh, the injustices we see in this world and to strive to, to bring light into those scenarios, but to also keep joy. And Lord, I pray that the difficulties of life would not steal our joy, that we would always have in our heart and mind the things about you that are sure, that you have accomplished and will accomplish. God, I pray that you will help us to continue speaking the word of God. Give us courage. Help us to not be afraid to tell people the truth. Help us to endure criticism if that's necessary. God, I pray that you will help us to rejoice because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are advancing salvation through this world. The kingdom of God is growing and you've called us to be part of it. You've commissioned us to be on mission of adding souls to your kingdom. Please help us to be part of that and to do it with joy. Help us to trust you, to lean on you and to walk in your ways. We love you, God. Thank you for this work you've started in us. In Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.